Brendan O'Brien. And I am Rena Ezra. And guys, we are so happy to be back again, and we are joined by our newest guest onto the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Ed Favor. Ed, thanks for being on the podcast with us today. Wow. Thanks for having me. I, I, I've been waiting quite a while yes. for you <laughs> me, and it's, I, I was overjoyed to hear from you last week. It was yes. great. Yes, thank you. Uh, Ed, where are you calling from, uh, from today? Yeah, we like I, your space, I, your room. Roselle, New Jersey, which is, I'd say about uh, on a day with easy traffic, 20, 25 minutes outside Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, where the, uh, uh, that part of the turnpike that gets the bad reputation for New Jersey with all the refineries and all that, that's not far from, uh, or that's how I get to New York. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I don't live right next to it, but uh, uh, it, well, we know it's there. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. It is the thing that we don't talk about, but we always know it's there. <laughs> it's funny. It's like that is definitely. A, it's, I think especially with New Jersey, that is definitely often a point of because we do the same thing because we are kind of a similar distance from the city, and like yes. it's kind of like the easiest point of reference is just saying we are X number of minutes from New York City, and so that way, even if you've never been to this area, you generally you can kind of figure out where roughly we're located at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that is the the landmark. Yes. The yes. point. The. Uh... But I do, I was like looking at my eyes directly when you signed on, went to your banner or the wallpaper or whatever is like your, oh. the movie theater, popcorn, the reels, yeah. all that stuff. This is my, you're in my, uh, my, my TV room. Mm-hmm. I love so it. There's all of, uh, I've got about 1600 DVDs. Yeah, wow, I'm seeing this one. <laughs> Yo, I have three, yes. You know, over in the corner there, and I can give you the little tour. Here's my my Pinocchio. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. It's just an audio Correct. podcast, people, it's but you're missing a really Correct. cool Pinocchio. And um, all of that. Uh, wow. This is my TV room. Uh, when we moved into this house, it was an empty attic, and over the years, when, when you're young, I'll give you a, a pro tip, you want to have friends who are electricians and uh, carpenters and plumbers and things, or have strong backs and can get sheetrock up three yes. floors. Yeah. Turn this into an extra room. So, nice. And it's been mine. I got all my Batmans and my comic books, you know, all the signs, and I never grew up. It's all here. Wow. Mm. Ooh, you're just giving me so many so many ideas are sparking yes. my head, things I want to ask you about. So, but, yes. but, but first, I do want to know how... Um, Brendan, you brought this wonderful guest to us mm-hmm. because I know you have worked together in the past yes. um, with T Squared Productions, yes. which I believe is—I mean, it's virtually. Have you guys met in person yet? Or you no, right? no, this that, is just in virtual. No, that—that's kind of like the nature of like, especially this pandemic and COVID situation, uh, for better or worse. That like, like a lot, like a lot of these relationships that have been forged have been forged over the internet, yes. right? Have you have you had a lot of experiences during the last couple of years where you've done theatrical productions? virtually and had to kind of adjust to the new accommodations that that's provided yeah yeah it, you know and, and it started almost immediately because i up what's coming up on on like facebook memories and things like that are, are a year ago i was i was going to callbacks for the play that i just recast again mm-hmm. week. Mm-hmm. and that we the theater that we were going to do that, that wanted a virtual performance so i look back at that first one and how much time I put into it, um, I had some fairly um, new actors, very very eager, but but new actors, and and I wanted a lot of work with them, and I looked forward to that in the rehearsal room, and um, 
as we went on, and I and I got it in the virtual one. But as we went through, I, I must have done twelve or fourteen things during uh, the, the peak of COVID. But each time it was, you know, everybody's really busy. Everybody's doing two or three of these, so it's less rehearsal, less rehearsal. You got to get to the point right away. Mm-hmm. And I that was one of the big adjustments for me. Not all, not, and also. Uh, figuring out where I could set up a space that I could put up a curtain and not have right. like background. Yeah. And what was the and, name of the play? Uh, the play is called uh, In Danger of Falling in Love. Mm. Mm. And, th- and that's the production that you're, you're currently working on, correct? That's the show I'm directing right now. Uh, it's going to be at Villagers Theater's Black Box May, uh, beginning May 13th for yes. the next the two weekends. So the, the 22nd, I think it is. And it's uh, what's exciting is that this is the first time it's being staged, so everybody in it is originating um, their role. And I was just looking at uh, uh, the, the people who are going to be in the show, and I, uh, this guy, nice, huh? Very handsome, very <laughs> handsome. Can confirm. He's, he's playing. He's playing the goofy brother. Oh wow! <laughs> I'm, I'm playing against type with some of these people, but there, he's really good. Uh, Great timing, uh, really made me laugh. Um, and you know, Brendan, I, I I actually think of you as I'm doing this show because um, when we did the uh, the Disney villain, mm. uh, yeah, and which was it? The Disney villain Prince, was it? Uh, we did a uh, Prince John from uh, from yeah. Robin Hood as our for our T squared production. Yeah, and uh, that was very and I, very good. You and I met uh, separate from with the actor, um, and. We were talking about things, and I wanted some changes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you were like, "Oh, that's I'm a screenwriter. I'm I'm used to my words being ignored." <laughs> <laughs> so um, I was happy to do that. I, I've worked with um, uh, new plays before, one act, and the guy I'm working with now. Um, I, I just had a hard time feeling him out, I guess. He's a really great guy. Um, and um, he was a little more protective of his words at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I think I had to show him that I wasn't trying to... Um, I was just trying to make it more artful. Mm-hmm. You know? Yes, yes. Um, well, that's actually a great segue because, uh, as we mentioned, uh, when we contacted you, there would be a challenge right, involved in this forgot. podcast. Sorry, where we will get, we will, I know, I, I did too. That's a, the first challenge is remember the challenge. Second challenge is then give you the challenge. Uh, so and we are to the second part of the challenge, which is telling you what it is, which is, uh, uh, throughout the entire course of this podcast, uh, feel free to interrupt anytime you think of an item on this list. The list is to name as many playwrights as you possibly can name. All up for grabs. Interrupt us whenever you want, and we'll put it on the board and tally up at the end. Okay. All right. Well, I'll start with Mike Sockel. He's the author of *In Danger of Falling in Love*. Cool. So I think he'd go mm-hmm. first. Cool. How did you? How did you guys uh, like come into contact with each other? Like, how did that relationship start? I actually knew his work before I knew him. Mm. Um, the uh, uh, Union County Performing Arts Center. I don't know if they still do it. They had a winter one act festival. Um, there's a uh, Chatham Playhouse has one in the summer called, uh, God, if I, forgive me, Chatham, I don't remember the name of it, but it's a really fine one-act festival. Mm. And, um, you know, it's all open roles, and they've got writers and directors hooked up. And they did this in the winter in Rollway, and I was asked by a friend of mine uh, if I would act 
in a, a short play he was directing. And it turned out it was written by Mike, who came mm. up to me afterwards. And I had, I had this, I, I was playing a news reporter, an old guy in Texas who was recalling the Kennedy assassination. Mm. And I changed something in it. Mm. And I didn't intend to. And I said to him afterwards, I met him, I said, I'm so sorry. And he's like, ah, it's all right. It was better. What you did, it was better. Mm. Shoot. So that's how I first became aware of him. I didn't meet him until uh, uh, a couple of years later when I did uh, um, um, Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing uh, at the Humdell uh, 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 Barn, the theater there, um, which was a great experience. And it led to people from the Shakespeare Theater of New Jersey seeing me mm. and asking me to audition for a part in their production of Sam Shepard's mm -hmm. There we go. We got three. Oh. Uh, what was that again? Did you get Shakespeare? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Shakespeare. oh, yeah. That's right. Yes. The, ultimate, the, ultimate the, the single dude or the group of people? We'll never know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so Mike and I played brothers in that production. I played Leonardo the Duke and he played mm -hmm. uh, uh, my brother, not the Duke. Don't remember his name. Um, that was a great production. I'll just say one thing about it. The middle weekend, uh, Saturday, Sunday matinee, there was a horrible windstorm in Homedale. And the theater, the barn, is near the high school's um, athletic field. There are no trees. So the wind is just, wham, hitting this building. And oh, we wow. keep back. And at intermission, the lights go out. It turned out a tree hit a transformer down. Oh my gosh. And we're all looking around because there's enough light through the windows in the dressing room for, uh, because it's daytime. And we look at each other and I said to somebody, well, I don't want to stop. And I, no, no. So we did, we, we did the rest of the show, um, with everybody on stage or on the edge of the stage. It was done in three quarter round with our cell phone lights. Oh wow. We had to enter. You would hand your cell phone off to a person who was exiting. And because the theater has such small dressing rooms, during rehearsals, we were often in the seats while other scenes were being blocked. So everybody knew the blocking of the whole show. Wow. And it was just the most, you could, and it's on YouTube if you search wow. it out. Wow. The show must go on. The most amazing experience I ever had. Wow. And only two people left. Wow. Mm. That's the fun thing with theater, though. Stuff that just happens spur the moment or the mm. happy accidents or the... I mean, obviously, you have to just think on your feet. And then it just makes the experience so much more special. And then also the audience is doing it with the actors on stage all at the same time. You're all like, you know, that's so Bond lovely. We bonded as one group. Yeah. One co the company included the people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just an, an amazing day. Um, and um, doing my favorite thing, I like to, I, I, I can't direct it. I don't feel smart enough yet for that, but I love to act in um, Shakespeare. Mm. So take us back. What, where, when did you get the bug? The acting right. bug, the directing bug? I first acted when I was five years old in our kindergarten production of Chicken Little. And I, I, had, I had a great part. I was, I was the king. I was on stage all the time. I spoke a lot, but I had one line. I was King Wellwell. Mm -hmm. Ted was, well, 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 well. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
and my queen, played by the smartest girl in our in our throughout grammar school, Debbie Amalfi. I still remember her. She would say, "King Wellwell says, ba 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 ba." She had to learn all the lines. <laughs> five and six years old. I um, after that, uh, I my interest was mainly in the movies. I love the movies. Go to the movies all day. I go. I go to a movie on a, on a summer afternoon when I was 13, 12 years old. You know, in those days, it wasn't always easy to get your parent to say you can go somewhere alone at that age. Mm. Um, uh, well, I shouldn't say that. Uh, I think it was more the, the subject matter my Catholic mother was worried about. I was going to be exposed to. Mm. <laughs> but I, I, um, I guess my interest got stirred when I went as a freshman in high school to see a production, a Broadway production of Butterflies Are Free, um, which is a play about a a blind guy living on his own comedy, falling in love, blah, blah. Um, and um, I just thought, boy, that there's something about that that I just can't take my eyes off of it. And that spring, I attended our school's musical production of Little Abner. Mm-hmm. And I sat there and I knew right away. I said, I, next time they do this, I'm yeah. going to be in this. Yeah. And... Um, I went home and my, my, my father picked me up. I was with my friend and he was like, what, what's the matter? And I said, I, something happened tonight. I, you know, I'm, not, I'm expressing it as an adult, but I was 13. I said, I don't know. I don't know that I, I, it was just what they were doing. And, and he was like, Oh, mm. um, and I, I never got a lot of encouragement from my father. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, if you can picture the, the, the great depression of the thirties as a boulder, <laughs> My father's house. Oh boy! My grandfather was stealing coal to keep oh. the house warm, um, and so everything was about being materially secure. Yeah, and, right, and stable. And um, the next year, the spring musical was The Wizard of Oz, and I nice. got in it. I mean, I, I had a, I was a chorus member, but they put me in like different features. It, it was this huge production that ended up having a, a Vietnam War, uh, anti-Vietnam War vibe in it. They put in modern songs. The Beatles had a song in it. We had the chorus story. And a, oh, I went to all boys high school. So we had girls high school from all around. There had to be 125 kids in the show. Wow. wow. And we had, we did two weekends. Now this high school now is all about sports. They send kids to the final four um, win state championships. But when we had this show, we did it in the school auditorium and kept up this set that took up two thirds of the gym for, for 14 days. That would never happen. They would never allow that now, but the, there was so much emphasis on the arts. Yeah. And I remember people who are adults now were children then telling me there was such a buzz in the town about this show. And that, that's my whole life was this thing now. Yeah. And every time on stage, if I had a chance with a line, I made sure I stood out. You know, we had this line, we're supposed to be generals, and the order gets passed down. It was uh, uh, maybe at ease, at ease. And I would go and they would get to me and I would scream, at ease, to the next. <laughs> Respect it. I was like, yes. <laughs> it's just that feeling, though. You just can't shake that feeling when you first, it's like imprinted on you. Also, yeah. what town? What town did you grow up in? I went to, uh, I lived in, I grew up in Elizabeth. Oh, uh, okay. And I went to Roselle uh, Catholic High School, gotcha. which was okay. all boys. It was a big, hairy deal when I got in. 
a very selective high school at the time. Uh, still, my son went there, great school. Um, and it had the, uh, in 1970, the outrageous tuition of $600 a year. Oh, oh God. Outrageous. Now, but. That's the person that's asked now. No, no, of course. <laughs> my, father, my father took a nighttime job as a janitor to pay for it. So he, so what about your uh, mom? Like the working class, your parents, the the work that they, yeah. what was the? Uh... My mom and dad um, uh, were high school sweethearts. Oh. Um, and they got married after the Korean War. My my dad came home. I'll tell you this story. This, and he planned to go to college on the GI Bill and become a high school history teacher. That's what he wanted to be. And his family didn't um, value education. Wow. And made him feel as though he was getting too big for his britches. So he married my mom and took a job as a machinist in a factory and lived what, I forget the writer's name, but a life known as a life of quiet desperation. Hmm. Uh, he made sure we had everything he didn't have. Christmas at my house, you would have thought we were millionaires the way they speak. Um, my mom, um, I came along 10 months after they were married. Hmm. So it was all about kids. My mother had two miscarriages between me and my next sister. So they were, it was the job back then for parents those days. Right. Married, reproduce. Yes, right, you know, right, yeah. Uh, Probably to the detriment. Um, uh, there were four of us. I think nowadays, uh, God, my sisters watch this. I, 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 mm -hmm. I just it was a lot for my mom. Mm. It was a lot for her. We have one child, and um, there was a time when we thought we were having a second one, and we were like, "Oh my God!" <laughs> <laughs> you know, my first question was, "How do I love another one?" Uh. <laughs> I love this one so much. Mm. Yeah, uh, the biggest that, responsibility ever. Yeah, yeah. And my, my dad uh, worked, you know, he, at this place, he got a position of uh, authority for an un, unskilled laborer. And when the place was sold, the new owners made him a manager. Hmm. And his only regret was, he said, where were you when my daughters were getting married? You hmm. know, for the uh, cost of the weddings. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's their tale. My father died um, when he was 62. Um, from a heart ailment that he had un undetected as a child. Couldn't really oh. about. So um, I'm 65. I've outlived him by hmm. uh, three years. Wow. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Do you, I mean, it is interesting from like generation to generation, they always have that. You do feel like you have a different set of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just something that like hinders you or the parents or the expectations or the, uh, please, like something that they, they, like you're saying, I mean, my parents are uh, Iranian and there's a thing where when they came from Iran to come to this country, you want stability. You can't like, you know, as you're somebody who's in the arts and like that is like the very last thing <laughs> they want somebody pursuing or different because they have their own fears and securities, like stuff that they haven't been able to fulfill in their own life. Mm -hmm. And then it doesn't. But I, I mean, would you would do you feel like you broke the cycle? Well, um, let me say that what you're describing from your parents culturally might be different, but materially is the same because that's what I got from my dad was take some business courses. You know, you, it's great for a hobby. And, you know, he would see me in shows and stand and applaud at, at, at times. It wasn't that he stayed away from it. Okay, so he was supportive uh, to a degree. 
Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. They didn't come when I wish they had. Was when I was uh, I'm, I'm a sign language. I was a sign language interpreter, professional sign language. Oh interpreter. wow! I'm still fluent, but I can't. Inter- I, I'm out of practice, and I did it a, a couple of times on the paper. And yeah. and um, they weren't able to come to see it for uh, a health reason. But what you're saying, excuse me, what you're saying, I mean, it isn't that different. It isn't that different, and you're in the arts. And, and I'm going to say a couple of things about that. First thing is, you shouldn't have to starve because you're in the arts. Mm. It shouldn't have to be. Well, you're you're just it's, it's just a privilege to be here and do this. Yeah, that's yeah bullshit. You can say bullshit. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. term yes. is bullshit. <laughs> yeah. But I, I don't think Tennessee Williams or Arthur Miller, uh, <laughs> were, uh, Harvey, well, Harvey Firestein probably did. Um, Oh. Jeremy O'Harris. Um, oh my goodness, did we spin around there for a second? No, you, yeah, I thought we froze for a bit, but we're good. We're no. back. I was just saying, in terms of just to, to clarify that, yeah, even though it's, I mean, you just have different generations, even if it's different cultures, it's still, um, I, I still feel like everybody goes through that struggle of profession, of purpose. What do I want to do from your life? Your father had his thing. His parents did this. You have your thing. You did that. You know what? And it's, um, I don't know. You just, you look back at it and you're like, oh, wow, I, this is, this is my life. Um, uh, Stephen Sondheim, would that qualify? Yes. Yeah. I will say yes, just on the fact that, like, because I think I some people that. would say that, like, a playwright and musicals is the librettist. However, there is much dialogue and much, like, story that is conveyed through the music. I so, yes, Stephen Sondheim is a nod. Along with Stephen Sondheim, I'll include Hugh Wheeler, who wrote the book for Sweeney Todd, mm-hmm. um, and George Firth, who wrote the book for Company and Merrily We Roll Along. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hugh Wheeler also wrote the book for. Uh, a little night music. Yes. Um, I try to, I try to be very careful with my son. Um, we did a lot of things intently. Like um, he didn't have any broadcast TV until he was after he was five years old. Hmm. Never, the, never, ever, ever, ever. Hmm. At that time, the only TV in the house was in the attic. Which is where my in my my room. Um, but he, he had video, you know, um, curated stuff. Mm-hmm. Winnie the Pooh, you know, not real highbrow shit. <laughs> but uh, uh, we were all about books, and um, he grew into being a great reader. I recall taking him to a movie. Um, he was seven years old, and we had introduced Tolkien to him through graphic novels. Oh wow! And um, he started to read like. He could recognize like the path mark sign and, and knew what it was at 18 months. Mm-hmm. I, my wife's a teacher. She's saying that's really advanced. Um, so he's seven years old. We're going to the movies. And um, no, I'm sorry. It's not seven years old. I'm giving him too much credit. He was like eight and a half. <laughs> and we go to the movies. And the, the girl taking the tickets is the, a girl who, when she was in grammar school, she's now a high school sophomore, was his, she would walk him home from school as a kindergartner for us, a big little babysitter. And she's got um, The Hobbit sitting there. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And the ticket, my son says, oh, The Hobbit. 
And she says, yeah, I have to read it for um, my English class. He said, I've read it. <laughs> that is pretty intensive for an eight and a half year old. Yeah. yeah. Are you kidding? Wow. And um, uh, after that, The Lord of the Rings. Uh, but, you know, I try to do everything through uh, multimedia. Like there was the Batshin animated movie. I showed him that to help introduce the characters. But I, 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 any cheating I could do, I would do. Um, but the greatest thing I ever did for him was the day I sat him down. And two things. The first one was I sat him down. Mary Agnes, my wife, was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. He had to be five, maybe five and a half, coming up on six when I showed him Star Wars. Mm. And he watches this, and he's just like, it's literally like somebody put a giant jet engine in front of him and just blew him. <laughs> blew his mind. <laughs> and the movie ends, and I said, what do you think? He's and I know what he was thinking was he had discovered action figures and he was thinking there have to be little Luke Skywalker. Yeah. yeah. What I said to him, I said, you know something? What? I said, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> the best one is next. <laughs> <laughs> and that, and then it, uh, when he was 10, I think, um, on New Year's Eve, I introduced him to, uh, Star Trek through the movie First Contact, mm. Next Generation. And that has become a common language for us. Okay. But I'm, I'm, I'm so stoned, I'm, I'm side branching on you. Um, That's a podcast, no, we're, getting a, we're getting a wealth oh, of information. This is, how, this is how the relationship went as, as he grew up. Um, and he just, would, when Harry Potter came around, he, he wasn't interested. Hmm. But this is right in your wheelhouse. And I, the only reason I had the book was because I saw, in those days, I, I read the New York Times on paper. And in the New York Times book magazine on a Sunday was an ad that big. This is all that big. Mm -hmm. And at the time, it was, quote, best children's book since Raul Dahl, mm -hmm. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone by J.K. Rowling. Mm -hmm. so, I said, oh, I'll get it for him. I got it for him. He looked at it. And he, I guess the artwork, uh, no, a couple nice. of years later, he said, I finished it. It was great. And I said, you know, there's another book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah here's, It's like that, like Homer and, and the, the monkey's paw, that, that episode. Uh, the good news is we have frozen yogurt. Oh, the bad news is we have sprinkle. Well, we have, always, we have frozen yogurt. That's the good news. The machine's broken. That's the bad news. <laughs> the good news is there's a book. The bad news is it's only being published in England right now. Uh, they didn't publish the first ones worldwide. Oh, right, right. I go back to work that Monday, and somebody in the office is talking about her vacation, and she says, I'm taking my daughter to see her relatives in London. Oh. I walked over to her. I gave her $40, and I wrote down the name of the book. And um, she went over. She got it. Oh, it's right. the odd-looking thing. It doesn't look anything like our Harry Potter books. Hmm. You know, ours are like this big. Yeah, it's yeah. Like big, it's small. And it's a, um, a realistic color drawing of Harry and Ron um, with pulling the bars or just trying to escape from his uncle's house in the fort hmm. at the beginning of the book. And when you take the, the paper cover off, that same picture is printed onto the hardback of the book. Mm. Oh, so the British, oh. Yeah, Not yeah. all the illustration is... 
Here's, here's some more Harry Potter trivia. They came out, they had two editions after the book became popular. There was the one I'm describing. Yeah. And then there was one for the first book that said Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone mm. in, England, in England. And it just had a, uh, a locomotive engine coming at you, the, the Hogwarts yeah. Express. Yeah. That was the edition they made for adults who were self-conscious about reading the book on the subway. Wow. Huh. Oh, because it was like a children's book? Yeah. yeah. So it was Harry like the... Potter was, it was, it was popular, but it wasn't at the worldwide. So do you still have the book from England? Does yeah, I could probably go get it if you wanted to see it. <laughs> <laughs> we can see it after, but that's, that's, that, that's a special thing now. Yeah. I'm sure there's people yeah. like, wow. That I'm, is... sure it, I'm sure it's worth something more than the cover price, but it's battered. You know, it was, it, it's been read um, a million times. It was. Yeah, but just like he has, you know, the, the fact that he still has it. And also yeah. you just, I, I mean, he's in a world of, or was introduced to a world of fantasy and sci-fi. So that is like, how is his imagination in general? How, like, how was he in school or how, because I'm sure your imagination goes My wild. My son did everything in school. Um, he was valedictorian in his high school class. Well, congratulations. And they give out a, a thank you, a gold medal for being first in every subject area. Mm. He got like seven of them. Wow. Oh my gosh. He got them for the sciences, for the math, for history. I don't think he got the art one, but we have like uh, ink drawings that he did of the beach hanging over um, my dresser in our bedroom. He could have done anything, he played the piano. Oh my and gosh, show off. When we have kids, we're going to be like, it's not as good as Ed's kid. That's remarkable. That's great. Valedictorian. Um, and he got into a, a, a cup. The only school he didn't get into that we were hoping he would was Princeton, but that was because of dad's ego. Right. <laughs> he wasn't going to go. He got into Amherst. Mm -hmm. you know, that, yeah. And um, based on our income, two public employees, um, they uh, thought that we could pay uh, 44000 a year. Mm -hmm. And as good as the school was, I, mean, I had to say no to my son. I said, between us, we're going to be saddled with $170,000 in debt, mm -hmm. and you'll never get married because mm -hmm. who's going to marry somebody who's already got a $100,000 mortgage, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Does it sound familiar to and, yeah. I mean, No, we've been lucky to... We, I, we've been lucky. You don't have that. Right? Yeah, I mean, we've been both lucky. Knocked on like I'm. I, I'm just saying we're actually just the lucky ones that do not have college debt. Yeah, I bet our parents like also were smart about it. Yeah, we. Uh, Mary had uh, said to him. Uh, he had. What other school should I apply to? And she said, well, our, we had a friend who kids went to Loyola, um, Maryland. Mm. He put that down. They accepted him, and. Um, offered him four years full tuition. Wow, wow fantastic. Yeah, that was, when we left, I think the tuition was 47. Okay, mm. okay. We just had to pay room and board, and we had a um, a, a fund for that. Yeah. You know, we, yeah. We, we had so he got to do that, and again, he double majored in Spanish and mathematics. So he had the arts, and when he was in high school, I directed plays at uh, at his high school, and I had him be my assistant director because even though he 
demonstrated when he would step in for a missing actor that he understood how to do it. I and on, a, on that level it would have been wonderful. Mm-hmm. Interesting, but I had him there because there were scenes between boys and girls, and I was one year I did the Miracle Worker, and there was a lot of touching between two girls in the fight scene in that play. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. So I would have him there, and when I was choreographing the scene, I would call him over and say, I want this, and I could jump on him and have him roll me over, and we would have practiced Mm -hmm. So he was really valuable to me that way, and he also kept me organized, Um, (laughs) which is a big thing with me. I just, when I had, when I did the show, um, the casting for In Danger, um, a really good friend of mine, um, Liz, uh, Cola Grande is her name. She's an act, a really good actor. She's interested in casting, so she said, "Can I come and help you cast the show?" And she did. She came three three nights, organized everything, and uh, um, kept me moving because I like to chat with the actors and give them notes, like we're actually doing the show already. <laughs> and um, she's like, "No, you got to get them in and out." Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and the last thing about my son was he finished, he graduated, he was valedictorian of his college class, um, and uh, was accepted to a, a PhD program in mathematics at Drexel, Philadelphia. Wow. Got a PhD in 2018, went to the Netherlands uh, on a postdoctoral fellowship for three years. Holy um, cow. Yeah, saw a lot of Europe. That's um, beautiful. He loves the UK. He spent a lot of time there. Uh, I've never been overseas, but he was he would go to the UK um, on holiday all the time. Wow. Yeah. Where would you want to go if you haven't been over London. Yet? London. Oh, yeah. London. London. Well, yeah. well, yeah. I, 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 vacation is a nice thing, but, you know, in, in later years, I've been fortunate to get a lot of work. Yeah. In fact, for um, almost 20 months before the pandemic, I was just doing show after show after show after show, acting, directing, acting, directing. I never said no. Uh, Do you like being, you like keeping busy? Yeah. And just to give you, um, it it wasn't always easy. Um, You know, like I said, I'm 65. I back then weighed 315 pounds. Mm -hmm. I was huge. Mm -hmm. And um, I had had a knee replacement, and it failed. Mm. So I this artificial thing in my leg that was moving around. Oh, and geez. Yeah, I had a show in Symphony Space in, in the city, and I'm uh, coming up out of the subway, and I uh, I collapsed in the tunnel. Um, so I had to do something about it. And uh, uh, my wife and I changed the way we eat and all that. You know, we sensibly eating, you know, um, not a, not six pieces of pizza or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I lost over 100 pounds and she lost 80. Wow. For two years. And I got both of my knees replaced. And we went to my godson's wedding in Chicago last weekend. And we danced all fucking night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Taking care of yourself isn't a bad thing. No, it's not. Uh, <laughs> no, especially when it feeds into like, like it, it makes you enjoy everything a lot more. Especially, I'm sure, like being like especially being in the theater and being so physical, like, you do need to be in good shape to just sustain. Absolutely. When I direct a show, I 
I don't like to sit down. Mm. I was going to ask, yeah, what is your approach? I, um, uh, I block very quickly because I want the actors to get a sense of what I want them to do, but I don't want them to memorize it. Mm. Okay. That some of it comes from them. Okay. You know, um, there, every now and then there's a couple of beats that have to be a certain way. And certainly if people are going to be uh, aggressive, have to be aggressive towards each other, that has to be worked out uh, step by step. And this show has a couple of fights in it um, that I will hope to bring a uh, friend who's a fight choreographer in on it mm. um, uh, for a couple of nights. I hope uh, I can get him because he's in band and going to be directing his own show. Um, yeah. How does being how does being a director and being a dir- an actor and like alternating between those feed into the experience of each other and help improve each other? Being an actor can sometimes you have to be careful. Like when I'm working with people who like say to me, "This is the last time I did this show. This is the first play I've ever done." Mm-hmm. You know, there's an old story about. Um, great baseball player, uh, Ted Williams, who became a hitting coach after his career was, I mean, he, he had 2010 vision. So that's how easy he could count the stitches on the baseball as it came in. He became a coach and a manager and got frustrated because he could say to the hitter, just see the ball and hit it. Yeah. It was like, I can do this. Why can't you? You should yeah. be able to, I can do it. You should be able to do it. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to be that way with somebody who's new. It's like, no, you got to turn around. You can't put your back to you. You, you want to? No, no, no. Yeah, we call it cheating. You have to cheat out of it. You know, simple things like that. Just remember when it was new for me. Right, right. And it's communication. I, 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 uh, I had to learn how to be specific with actors when I was a new director. Mm. Um, it's easy to do it with the high school kids, unless you get somebody who's decided, well, when I leave high school, this is what I'm going to do. Mm. And the years that I directed at my son's school, the kids were interested. Um, a couple of them were really disciplined. Um, uh, the second play I did, the first reading, two of the kids weren't there. And it was 3.30. And I said, we're going to read at 3.30. And we started to read. They walked in at, 20, at quarter to four. And they say, oh, you started. And this girl, uh, Vanessa was her name, stood up and said, in Mr. Favor's place, we start on time. Mm. And they were, and they, oh, and they, and they sat there. And that's that's what I like to rub off on them, you know, a little sense of discipline. But with the high school kids, they often want you to, and how you want me to, and then what am I going to do? And that's like the last thing I want to do with grown-ass adults. Yeah. Is to, you know, I might say, you know, here's what I'd like to see in your uh, intention in this scene or we're talking well, what do you think it is and have a back and forth about it. Um, I really like, everybody likes to get past the blocking as quickly as you can. But like I said, I do it, I do it fast, but if somebody isn't getting it, I'll go back and and try to be slow, slower. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the kind of director like I am at, uh, at, at the day job that I'm leaving to do the acting thing all the time. Um, I'm retiring from my government job, mm-hmm. and I'm going to go out there and 
have a lot of people say no to me a lot, take classes mm-hmm. and things like that. Yay! Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. More rejection! <laughs> I, it's, it was a dream deferred. It doesn't have to be denied. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes, yes, absolutely, yeah. But what I... I usually start a, 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 a production by having the cast of my house and my wife cooks and we read the play and we get to know each other. Um, uh, one, I've I, I worked with one director, uh, uh, Jess Sherman, eight times and mostly Shakespeare. And we, gen- I generally would produce her show as well. And we would start with a Shakespeare uh, boot camp hmm. in my house. And, uh, uh, everybody get, you know, you spend the day doing that and eating a lot of good food and, and mm-hmm. you, you get to know each other. I don't know if I'll get to do it with this one, um, but we'll see. I just, I just cast it last week. I, I got a lot of funny people, which makes it easy. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you cast the right people, it's not a lot of work mm-hmm. with a director. Mm-hmm. And I so much help with the casting this time. Um, and actually got to see people who had, I've been with this play for over two years. So stuff that's supposed to be funny is like, well, I've read, reading this for two years. Yeah, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you guys deal with that? Because you're, you're, you're funny people, yeah. right? Well, yeah. Well, I think also to the point about like the evolution of something from when you first start it yeah. to the end of it the Cause, stages yeah yeah because we, we're in the process of releasing a short film that we you know we went through like the, the whole process of it right where like you conceptualize it you write it you film it act in it and then edit it and like in that entire process you like you're constantly checking in to make sure that you're like like is this still good like like, <laughs> like yeah. am i still having like a, like a sharp perspective on it so i definitely relate to that part of it of, like the idea of like your the art like really trusting in your artistic brain i think to and also being able to like really carry out the product no matter what it is from the beginning all the way through until the finish line whatever that is yeah yeah i what brendan said i mean because i mean you're <laughs> brendan's very aware um i had like a lot of doubts at different times of the as the project was developing at different stages because like brendan was saying it it's like a it's one creature when it's written it takes a different form when you're filming it and it's a completely different like the tone changes what your perspective everything through the editing stage it's different what you thought it was going to be and that's the struggle with (laughs) film is like what you think about it's going to be in your head never compares to what's on screen because it just goes through so many different layers but lucky for us we have the three of us jordan brendan and i to like bounce our ideas off of each other questions or we trust each other's judgment so if we're like the exactly what you were saying we're like is this still funny because especially when you're editing so many times you're just like i've seen this clip a hundred times you're like i hate this now (laughs) and you're like is this even like what chord is this hitting what is the yeah so it's um but but i have it has to be a collaborative yeah right you know i was on my movie set last month for a um, an independent sh- film for the international market. It's from uh, some guys from South in, uh, Asia, India. And um, I was playing, um, I was actually just there to record lines. I was playing a mob boss whose daughter gets kidnapped and I get the ransom phone call. Okay. Um, 
and to see the, the many parts of it, even on a small independent film, and how technical it is, the acting. Because, you know, they sent me this script, and it looks like any other script, except, you know, I didn't have a shooting script. I There was no uh, pan here or that. Yeah, write lines, and then they speak, and I speak. Yeah, I get this. It's just like a play. Mm -hmm. I'm there, and like, holy shit, this is nothing like a play. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, it is very... Uh the theater and on the stage is very different from film because of course the fluidity is um uh what's the word i'm looking for um is just like abstract it's just the it it's uh interrupted when you have like one cohesive thing on stage and you can do you know you have this much time to go through these many acts these many plays it, yeah exactly you're able to live the emotional life of the character yes. in the uh, with the beats in the order they were meant to be. In. Yes, yes, and with film, it's abrupt. It's just like, okay, take one, take five, take. You have to like, oh wait, stop, hold on, we've uh, got to fix. Like, there's also like you're saying technical. There's sometimes hiccups. There's like just tech issues. We were filming with a drone and we had to stop <laughs> because yeah, we had no fly zone. So. Like... <laughs> So that's and, and like, that's a part of it too, though, right? It's like every in theory, every product you do, you you learn new things. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, no, I know. Yeah, it's like one of those things where you like you're like, oh yeah, I guess if I if I'm like in a certain mile radius of an airport, then they just yes, don't want things flying around. Yes, you can't go over a certain altitude. Yeah. Um, but the so the drone size we had, we didn't have to get a license or anything like that. But it's true because we're near Teterboro, we're near Newark Airport. Um, and it was just something we did not think of. Mm -hmm. We're thinking, oh, we're fine by this altitude level, whatever. And a lot of it's trial and error. But yeah, we're doing it and we have to do a running scene, which also this is very physical. And you just, <laughs> you just have to pause, wait. And whoever the actor is, like, you have to stay in your mindset. That's also a very different thing. You're being taken out of it um, because the scene has stopped. But you have to be able to go yeah. back in, pick up where you left off. You know, the, the, um, oh, um, Connor McPherson, Martin McDonough, and mm. Sean O'Casey. What was the last one? Sean O'Casey. Sean O'Casey, You know, in the Paycock. Um, this set was, uh, I, I was waiting to, for the sound engineer to uh, have uh, some time to record me. And we the set was this uh, ripped out, um, looks like it looked like it was uh, at a part office, part warehouse building. And it was like 22 degrees. Oh, my gosh. And the girl is sitting, the the costume was cut off shorts with uh, uh, sheer stockings. And, you know, it, it was like summer outfit. Yeah. And I ended up, uh, I knew her from a play that we had just done recently where I turned into an owl. That's one where I should have had edibles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would be standing on the side with a big coat, and every time they called cut, I would run out and cover her. Um, and, and I also felt, I, was, I said to her, speak up. You're sitting here. You know, I mean, again, this is not a privilege. They need you. Mm -hmm. Fucking speak up. Yes. That you're, you, yes. you need time to go stand by the heaters and have a cup of coffee? Yes, you're a human, not a prop. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, and it was just so... So eye-opening, because you, you have to concentrate in that kind of um, environment, you know? Yeah. You have to, I'm sorry, the cameraman, the director, the sound guy, all, 
on the, uh, the people the below the line guys everybody's got to concentrate or you're going to be there all day yes yes it'll have yeah yeah you don't want your days to be super long and you're scheduling it so that and like of course it's when it gets to the if you're doing bigger budget films you're literally burning money <laughs> and that everything is that's why you have a shoot schedule but it's um i don't know sometimes i feel like the younger people going into the industry do have that like they don't think of it they do think it is like oh my god i'm just so thankful to be here and it's such a privilege blah 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 blah. and they don't speak up and say certain things because they think like oh but i'm down here like Mm. i'm not this significant or i'm not this i i don't know i just i don't feel like they have um just how they view themselves or the situation getting them like they get take more taken advantage of and don't think of like hey there are a lot of like elements here like you like if it's <laughs> if it like into now that we're having like more and more people are aware of into intimacy coordinators and people mm-hmm. literally being on set when you have to do certain vulnerable scenes and it's just like yeah this is you have to walk through you know what your blocking is your conversation have the two people meet you're very aware of what's going to happen in the scene so there are no surprises because again you are a human you're not yeah. a prop and you're not like yeah it's it's uh, yeah maybe it's just an experience thing it probably is because it's easy you know it'd be easy for me to say you know i think you should this and this and this because that worked for me when I was 26, 40 years ago, you know, and I'm also thinking through the mindset of somebody who's made it here, um, largely unscarred, uh, with a dollar more in his pocket than he needs to pay his bills at all times. And um, I'm, I'm really looking like at, at you guys and my friends who are your age and thinking it's how how do we make this how can we make things like what we're talking about making the art sustainable how, how can that happen um, so that people don't have to be making shitty choices about their jobs and uh, I, I, I'm a real believer that at the root of everything is happiness mm-hmm. and if you say you're happy then that tells me that you're materially secure and um what you do with your days makes you uh, largely content, you know? Yeah. And go home at night, there's a human or a feline or, or a fish or something that keeps you company. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I feel like the avenues for your generation or the generation that I produce, I, it's what I'm, I'm thinking, is, um, is the, 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 the avenues have narrowed um, and it, it, it seems so unfair because it's time for you guys to start leading. Mm. Hmm. What do you mean by the avenues are narrow? Can you explain I, that? I, I think, you know, it's harder. Good paying jobs aren't, aren't as easy to find. You've you know, gotten worse or something? You know, while you're, while you're trying to make it, I'm, I, I, I'm not a, a great believer that you should have to, uh, uh, pour coffee or clean out bathrooms or something necessarily. Um, you know, I, if you can find a, a, a second thing, not that replaces what you want to do, but that um, complements it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a friend who 
um, when we when I've done shows with this person, they always have a um, it seems like a a full regimen of yoga poses that they stretch through before going backstage and putting on makeup and everything. And that person decided to get themselves certified as a yoga instructor. And through work, you can, this, this kind of work that makes, make, makes our content. It, it, I think it energizes to go back out for the big thing. And it also, um, soothes the wound when when you hear no yeah rather than going back to hi can i take your order please yeah um i do it's it's circumstances i don't know if it's like people uh, i i mean it is a struggle for a lot of people and some people are more fortunate ever uh, more fortunate than others who find those opportunities but i mean i do agree in the respect that i don't think people see it as paying your dues i don't think you have to literally be you know just don't you in the rooms you know being judged that's paying your dues i don't think you have to you know you starve i mean there might like if i if i go back out there after i i leave state service and i take a pension and i have all the all the privilege of um what the government's going to have to offer now you know my health care is free uh, because I'm over 65, um, and I, 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 I want there to be a way that everybody can have that. It's, yeah. it's, like, it's mostly free. I shouldn't say it's completely mm-hmm. free. But, yeah. uh, you know, you would want to have it, okay? Mm-hmm. Unless you've got, like, like I, we had the public service. Well, a lot of times the, the compact was you, you work in public service for lower salaries, but you get more secure benefits, and that's kind of the trade-off. Um, that we've had, but my point is that I can go out there now. I'm, I'm stoned, um, <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. uh, and say, well, I'm going to go out and, and try to be an actor and audition for stuff and try to meet people and have door, you know, have, have go through all that shit. But when I come home, I, I have the security of the pension I earned. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, it kind of feels like you have certain, you have more freedoms now. Yeah. Yeah, and, and does that make me less hungry? Because I don't know, does it? I can go home and, you know, have a lobster or something like that. Or, oh, it just, some, you know, I, I can go home and not worry about uh, paying the rent because my mortgage is paid. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. or other, like, I, I, I really want this job. I, I really need this job, you know. Yeah. What, what, what's the greater fuel? And for me, the ultimate fuel is the one thing that's worth more than anything else, anything else. And you cannot fucking buy it. Yet it is worth, it's priceless. It's time. Yes. It's time. And you guys, you're at the beginning. And I've, I know I've made my choices. I've been down the road. I, uh, I, I did everything I was supposed to do. You know, my son is out and he's a university, tenure, tenure track university professor now. And um, I don't have all that much time, maybe. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Mm-hmm. So uh, I want to make the most of it. And that's where my urgency comes from. Oh, yeah. It, gotcha. Yeah. Well, how, hopefully you have a lot I, more time. I, I, no. 
because you seem very uh, young and energetic and you you do have a lot of energy uh still in you from like <laughs> the the conversation and also like already like the work that we know you've done and just doing also being somebody who is of the older generation you are so with it when it comes to a lot of things tech like anything like we've seen you do like virtual stuff and you just you're quick like you're just very and you're very like uh just I like the still the excitement the excitement you have to work on every new project and every new set of actors is wonderful but I also just the saying the last thing I do agree that I don't think people should necessarily be starving artists and I do think like they're hungry like it, it's just I just don't like when people are stressing about all of this stuff, like find all this stuff just to live and then life passes them by. That like that mm. is because then it's just like where you're spending all your time being so stressed and then you're not even capturing these moments that you want to, whatever your artistic lens is, whatever the, you know, the machine you put it through, the visual, the you know, film, be uh, painting, whatever it is. I live in a dream world where we support the arts and we have more regional theaters with apprenticeship programs and national theaters in our larger cities, but um, that we, you know, I don't know where the money is going to come from for, but from Jeff Bezos. <laughs> yeah, um, honestly. And, and places where actors can hone their craft, you know, um, uh, more support for for what you need. I, mean, I I don't know that much about filmmaking other than to um, I'm supposed to hit my mark, but that's about that's it. it. That's that's all it is. But I, <laughs> I do I'm hopeful. I do think it is getting better. I do think art artists are supporting other artists and they are getting other people because especially when it went through the pandemic, people saw how much artists, entertainment industry people and people who needed to be out in person working with other people how much of that got hit and it got hit hard mm -hmm. and people realize that that is that everyone's creative and the creativity like that is where people go is art like where you find all these beautiful things in the world where your entertainment comes from comes from where like your comedy comes from your humor where you're able to escape that is this i think i i got through the, the really worst of COVID because I was doing so many um, readings mm. and, you know, readings and sh readings that had rehearsal periods. Yeah. It was like I, I, it, I, 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 my head would come up every few weeks when there was a gap between something of it. Oh shit. That's <laughs> no, no. Yeah. And then back down into 12th night or, um, um, or the last one that we did, the last big one we did was uh, with T squared was Lear. Mm. Oh yes, yeah. We did uh, ten weeks of classes first on Saturday mornings, mm. and then three weeks of rehearsal, and then we did the uh, the reading. Um, and I had my left knee replaced between the third and fourth class, mm. so I spent weeks like, oh, this is okay. fun. Does this hurt? Oh uh, my gosh. <laughs> until it started to get better but I, I just I was able to make the most of it you know yeah well that's all we can do yeah and if all of a sudden right now you discovered a genie lamp 
And you were told you must decide your three wishes right now. What would your three wishes be? My first wish would be um, to ensure my son's lifelong happiness. That would be my first wish. Mm. Good wish. Mm. Um, my second wish would be to give my wife and I another 50 years as we are now. Mm. That mm. Another solid wish. I would stop. Mm. Mm. And, you know, I guess I'm supposed to wish for money. but Or I, pizza, either one. <laughs> I really want to see, I would wish that we would dedicate ourselves to fixing the world for you and for the generation behind you. I, that, I, I think a lot about climate change and oh just God, about, yeah. uh, about the, uh, the economical inequities that, um, you know, we're often accused of pulling up the ladder. I think for my, my own self, I was just more uh, ignorant and not watching out. You know, we're not trying to do anything willfully, but just not being a, a good steward. Mm-hmm. Trying to make up for it. I don't want to be a bummer about it. No, um, we're just, we're talking about a lot of uh, deep, real <laughs> topics for sure. We could go on I and on. Would be that New Jersey would get its shit together and open the recreational pot stores. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. In time. Yeah. Yes. Well, this, is, this is all about, right? It's like how in this way, like like pot really does unify people, you know? I really yeah. and and there is something very it does. Yeah, there's something very like healing and very wholesome in a way about that connection. Now, do, do you um, either of you have a medicinal card or are you? No. Got- you're getting yours from a private vendor. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Cards yeah. not. It's a little expensive to get in. Mm-hmm. Three, four hundred dollars. Yeah, you know? it's, it's expensive. Yeah. <laughs> Quality of the stuff is right on the money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do just want to. One of the uh, last things when you mentioned earlier, because I have to ask um, that you have comics. Uh, comic yeah. books that you saw. Did you see the Batman? I have not seen uh, um, the Batman yet. I, I still haven't seen Spider Man. I have had mm. no time. Oh well. Um, You're so busy. Yeah. No. <laughs> you know, I'm a gym rat too, so I'm, oh, I'm cool, trying. Cool. I'm in the gym six days a week. So You're so um, well rounded. Great balance. What yeah. would you? I have to ask though, because you are a movie buff person, though. What? Are your major influences movies and then some of your favorite actors? Okay, well, um, the movie that I live with that that plays in my head all the time is The Godfather. All the time. We, I was constantly, um, uh, my favorite scene is when uh, the Don comes down. and, and Tom Hagen, one of my very favorite actors, Robert Duvall, yes. says the words, tells the truth. If you've never seen his Oscar-winning performance in Tender Mercies, you, you should seek it out. Mm. You know, it's a fantastic movie, and, and he just gives a wonderful, wonderful performance in it. Um, so The Godfather is just in my head all the time, and that scene where he has to tell, they shot Sonny on the causeway, he's dead. Mm. And the Don, go back to the Don, and he just goes, 
and collapses like that. So Coppola, you know, I, I know it's not uh, politic to say, but Woody Allen was a big influence for a long time. Mm. I, I was from the time I was in my twenties up all the way up. Um, Crimes and Misdemeanors is an amazing film. Um, you know, uh, and it's and and the slapstick stuff as well. Um, let's see, an, another favorite actor. Um, God, I'm going to think of them after I'm off the. Well, I love I, Meryl Streep. Always amazes me. Uh, I think um, Chris Hemsworth is the hunkiest man. You know? <laughs> Those arms. I think he's so beautiful. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> he's, yeah. he's got that personal better. trainer, yeah. a dietitian that introduces everyone on his team. Yeah. Um, also, Brendan, if you could just uh, count up his playwrights. Oh yes, uh, Ed. Uh, before we wrap things up, uh, did you want to add any more any more playwrights right at the end at the buzzer that you wanted to uh, add to the list? Lucas Nath, um, Eugene O'Neill. Yeah, mm-hmm. good list going. Uh, George Kaufman, Moss Hart. Bernard Pomeroy, who wrote uh, The Elephant Man. Um, we know. Woody Allen. Yeah, there you go. All right, so. Do we know who, um, or who has the highest right now in 2022 for a podcast? Mm. I don't know. I wonder if he's exceeded it. Uh, he's in the 20s, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, do you have, a, do you have a, a favorite play? Like a single play that is, that is like the one that like really stands out in your mind the heaviest um well the, the there's always the play that i want to direct that i have not been able to convince the theater to do yet it's a play that lives with me it's called mary's wedding mm-hmm. yeah. young woman in 1920 having a dream about her beloved on the night before she gets married you have the book right by you <laughs> <laughs> I, I read this. I pick it up all the time. I wow. want to direct this place so badly. I have the actor to play Mary. I one day it will happen. Yeah. We'll put it out into the universe. Yeah. Wait. What? What is it about the play that, that is? Is why is it so hard to get this play produced? I love. Well, it's 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 not well known. I think, and it's two actors, and on a community level, they often like one. Th- there was this theater that I was at, and I thought I did a reading at. They said you should submit a place here. I said, I'm play this great for this space. It's called Mary's Wedding. Oh, I said, but, but what? It has two actors in it. Oh. Yeah, but they'd be waiting for Godot. That mainly has two people. But in, in, a, in, a, in an amateur theater, you know, uh, I, mm. I don't know. I have it out. At a, I've had it out in a couple of places. It's, it's uh, I like plays that offer an opportunity to p- give people a, an emotional release. I direct a lot of stuff where people are, of a tear at the end, mm-hmm. uh, or they're moved at some point in the play. And this is about the, the, the body of the play is about a young woman having a dream about how she met him um, and how they fell in love. The very tentative young love. They don't even kiss early in the play. And then uh, World War One breaks out, and this kid is a horseman, he's an equestrian. He, t- he teaches her how to ride in the play, mm-hmm. and he wants to go and fight the Canadians. Mm. And you can guess how that goes. Uh, and the rest of the plays, her interacting with him through the letters that he sends her. Uh, and uh, she actually takes the role of this sergeant who's there to protect the callow youth. Um, and it makes sense because since she has no visual way down, she doesn't know what the guy looks like, so she just puts herself in it. And uh, 
at the end of the uh, you gotta see it. you gotta see it so there's that <laughs> play that I like a lot uh, that I have the I have the the un, ex, well the, the play that I like the most of all is called The Life and Adventures of Nicholas Nickel mm. uh, yeah eight hours long wow yeah, long. the whole book by Dickens yeah I have, I have a DVD set of it there's they only ever put out one DVD, which is like a, a recording. They put a, a VHS recording on a DVD. Yeah. But it's all I have. Yeah, yeah. I got to see it in New York in, uh, in 1986, the revival, in one day. Wow. One in the afternoon until 11.30 at night. Oh, that's my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, we... Uh appreciate you being on this podcast yeah. your wisdom your knowledge your love of the arts your everything this has been such a great conversation thank you so yeah, much for sharing i hope i i hope i i know you guys have a lot of funny people on and uh, oh it's little... always a mix of people no 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 yeah. it's always just to connect with whoever the guest is and yeah. everybody has a unique story yeah. and everybody okay. has great stuff to say yeah our, our goal is always with these sessions and like whatever way it comes out is to one convey like really who the person is that we have on and like have like who they are like translate through the audio medium but also like really get people who tell very interesting stories and give really interesting like just like ideas and open up very interesting You're conversation yeah. and you were that in spades yeah. this, was, this is a wonderful conversation <laughs> okay. really um and, and you got 17 playwrights that now people can check out that's if, a lot if, if they I, need. that's a lot of playwrights that's very good. Uh, and can you uh, please uh, plug your upcoming show and anything else that you want to point out? Or where people, people to, can find you? Yeah, social handles. Well, you, you can find me on Twitter at um, OBX, oh, that's O, B like boy, X boy, uh, 107. And I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm the same on Instagram. Um, and the play that's coming up is called In Danger of Falling in Love by Mike Sockle. It will be a world premiere. At Villagers Black Spot Black Box Theater, uh, starting May thirteenth, uh, that weekend, and then the weekend of the twentieth. So we open on Friday the thirteenth. Very, very cool. Very cool. Thank you again, Ed, and thank you everyone out there from listening to sessions with Mary Jane. As always, be looking at everything late night hump, late night hump .com. Follow us at, at late night hump on all the social media. We have a bunch of uh, great. We always post in videos for you guys to laugh at and to enjoy. We're always having great content for you available. We have podcasts. We have sessions with Mary Jane every single week. We have the morning shower, our morning news show with jokes that is every single day. So please check all that out. And Rena, final words. Have a great rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs>